You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 45 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are well. So for those of you who have been longing to hear something else apart from my voice, you will be happy to know that there's a guest for this week's episode. We had a really long chat and there's two parts to my conversation with him. He is, of course, fellow Liverpool supporter Lee Jingjun. Jingjun is currently a teacher in the School of the Arts and is a well-known name in the Singapore band scene, having composed the set piece Festival on Earth and Party in Space for concert band for the 2019 Singapore Youth Festival Arts presentation. On this first part of the conversation, we spoke about some of his favourite pastime, his involvement in other arts groups apart from being a performer and composer, his career development over the years, his creative process behind the set pieces he wrote, and some of his thoughts about this year's SYF. I apologise for the slightly late release this week. Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Jing Jun. My guest today is not only an established musician, he is the guy you should speak to if you are looking for a cheap flight to catch. I have had the pleasure to perform his works, teach his works, play together with him in a section and played in a few of his rehearsals too. He really needs no further introduction. Welcome to the show, Ting Jun. How are you doing today? Hello, nice. Uh, it's nice being on this show. Thank you for having me. All good. Yeah, absolute pleasure. You know, I, I can't help whilst I was preparing this episode and preparing the questions to think about our last concert together. Wow. That was my last live performance, actually. <laughs> it hasn't been that long for you? Yes, it actually has been that long. Right. Yeah. So, of course, amazing project, the premiere of the Valkyrie. Didn't feel that long ago, but it's now like over a year, right? Yeah. January 2020. So, wow, that's one year and four months already. Yeah, exactly. And like, wh- when was it when you when you spoke to me about this project? I think wh- whoever from oh. yeah OMM that's listening needs to applaud you for how seriously you take your job, because I think you probably spoke to me about the potential of this project eighteen months or so, or Possibly. at least like. For sure, more than a year before the, the project was meant to take place, right? Yeah, because we needed to really secure someone who could play bass trumpet, so... Yeah, and yeah. well, you say can play the bass trumpet, huh? so I, then I, I must come in, right, and say that <laughs> I have to apologise, right, because you sit right next to me for the really, really dodgy tuning for the first couple of rehearsals and then for the slightly less dodgy tuning for the remaining rehearsals. <laughs> but it all worked out, so that's great. 
yeah, looking back, I think when I said yes to you, it just sounded like a really fun project. I didn't mm-hmm. quite know what I, I signed up for until <laughs> until the first year. So I'm like, okay, right. <laughs> yeah. A, a little bit of pressure on an instrument that I'm not very familiar with. But yeah, mm. like I said, uh, but super grateful for the opportunity and, you know, really thank you for, for asking me to be, be part of the project. Yes, and I'm very sure that that first experience would help you in the future as well when you continue playing bass trumpet, which I hope you will continue. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, now I'm part of the family, right? I can't get out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a little bit like going into the deep end, right? Straight away. So, you know, uh, maybe the rest of the ring cycle is probably as challenging, but any other thing that would require the bass trumpet, I would say it's probably a little bit less demanding and intimidating as compared yeah. to, to what the ring cycle has to Correct. Offer. Yeah. The ring cycle does have one of the hardest and the most, I would say, scariest bass trumpet parts yeah. in orchestral rap. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, so let's uh, start things off with uh, a fun fact that I think some of our friends in Manchester probably know this, but most people don't. And that is that both of us share the same birthday. Yeah, yeah, we but, do. Yeah, but I think, uh, are we like a year apart, right? Yes. Something like that, a year apart now. Yeah. So, uh, our birthday, if you don't mind me sharing, falls on this really auspicious date of the 4th of April. So, Chinese would absolutely love it, right? Nothing better <laughs> than two fours uh, because it adds up to eight. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's about like three weeks ago on a Sunday, Easter Sunday this year. How did you spend your birthday? Oh, I went hiking with my sister and my fiancé. So nice. we went to MacRitchie and we did a walk on the Patai Trail. Uh, it was mm. actually quite nice and we saw a lot of very interesting things because I'm an avid hiker. So uh, well, the first thing is it wasn't much of a hike in terms of elevation gain. It's actually quite flat. Lah. Right. But the amount of wildlife you see on that trail, my gosh, like I forget I'm in Singapore. Uh, I mm. saw birds, hummingbirds up close. I saw this really pretty butterfly. Um, it's called a common posy, but actually I've never seen it before. Not so common. Yeah, yeah. it seems. <laughs> right. Um, and then uh, we got up really close and personal with monkeys. Like they were really close and on the boardwalk trail and you walk past them and it doesn't matter. But then we also saw a fight between two monkey tribes. I thought that was interesting as well. Never seen something like that before. Tribes, you say? Yeah, different tribes of monkeys. So, so it's like a gang fight sort of thing. Yeah, they were not fighting. Like, they were just yeah. posturing to each other on opposite ends of the reservoir. Okay, like okay. it was a thin section of the reservoir. Right, so right. So you could see the trees on the other side and then they were like screeching each other. Yeah, a, a little bit like stare what stare, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. So I, I wish I was like half as healthy or active as you. Uh, I just <laughs> spent my birthday eating. That's about it. Hey, but that's that's good too. <laughs> yeah, whichever ways we want to enjoy our day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, of course, interesting milestone for me because I turned 30 this year. How, how has your uh, entry towards your 30s been? Everyone says it's midlife crisis. Um, it hasn't <laughs> really it hasn't really hit yet. But okay. um, because I don't really celebrate birthdays to begin with, Right. But this year, um, there are so many things happening. 
um, I'm about to get married like in less than a month's time. Exciting, like, exciting. Looking for like uh, rental, you know, mm. and thinking about the rental duration because, you know, of all the BTO delay news and whatnot. <laughs> right. And uh, at the same time, work has been uh, ramping up quite a bit. Mm. Yeah, so actually, quite busy. La. Right. Nothing to think about how old I am. It's just, okay. it's just life at this point. Yeah. And uh, the real adulting stuff, right? Correct. I mean, uh, a couple of months ago, a uh, couple of months ago, I had to sort out my HDB loan and I have to apply for a, a bunch of stuff from the website, which I had no absolutely no clue. I turned up to sign the lease and they asked me, "Do you have like such and such document?" I just said no, and then they asked me, "Do you want the loan?" Probably. Oh, then <laughs> then see you another day. You know. <laughs> so yeah, that that was a uh, that was interesting. Uh, probably. Uh, nobody is sort of like nobody is as clueless as I am when it comes to this sort of thing uh, but uh, for sure I think we, we reach a point whereby career matters of course but there are a lot of other responsibilities that, that come along right at, at this point in our life yeah so yeah I mean really excited to uh, talk to you a little bit more about the work that you do and how mm-hmm. your, your work has sort of uh, developed and progressed over the time since I first met you but now, uh, of course, we, we spoke a little bit about your ability to get really good deals for flights. <laughs> and for, for the longest time that I, or for the time that I've known you, you have been someone that goes on a, goes on a regular holiday, you're flying, you go to really interesting places. And I know, of course, from you that you're a big fan of like aviation industry and things like that. Like what's with this uh, sort of obsession that you have for the industry? And how do you get all these deals? Um, so it kind of started around um, towards the end of my JC life. Started thinking about traveling. And then one thing led to another. I started planning for a trip with friends to Hong Kong. And then, you know, searching up for airfares and realizing that it's not as straightforward as you think. So we always hear about booking tours through tour companies. And then yeah. I'm like, we know that it's actually not worth it because there's always that huge tax and mm. a lot of hidden costs and half of the itinerary you don't even want to do anyway. <laughs> so you might as well plan your own, right? Yeah, like, like save money. Like going to like jewelry shops and things like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So we decided to plan ourselves. Um, and then it came up with a pretty decent itinerary because you know when you're a student, you're kind of poor. So you're forced to find creative ways to save costs here and there. Right. So you search for cheap accommodation that's still livable. You search for cheap flights and Mm. things like this. And then after a while, you start seeing a pattern of certain ways of getting cheap flights, um, such as uh, various uh, flight searching agencies. So I Mm. I used to use Kayak. That was this before the days of Google Flights. Yeah. So Kayak actually uh, puts up all... Where you just have to type your origin and destination, and then it gives you all the different flight options with different timings and the price comparisons, things like that. Whether you get miles or not, things like this also. Yeah. And then um, I also had a friend who started teaching me about some airline hacks, like how airlines always price discriminate against the origin um airport or the origin country. For okay. example, Singapore Airlines, they right. will price discriminate against um, Singapore residents because the brand name is very strong. Right. Whereas overseas, they have to compete with 
other airlines. Okay. So if you start a flight overseas on Singapore Airlines, it's a lot cheaper than flying from Singapore on Singapore Airlines. Right. There you go. Right. Yeah. I think I think we can we can end here now. This is yeah, enough right. value for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But of course, that doesn't really apply anymore. Um, like nowadays, you know, flights have gone whack. That I don't know what the new trends will be. Well, there, there's no market now, right? There's no yeah, yeah predictions at all, isn't it? Well, yeah. Hong Kong's open. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm at, not going just at, in case you were wondering. <laughs> at a price, it's <laughs> it's open, right? Yeah. yeah. At a price. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean that what's with this like interest with like planes and things like that or all things flying is it all things flying I don't know mm, yeah. yeah kind of I don't really know so I had a a, a good friend um, his name is Aaron Tessera also from JC Band and he was the one who kind of got me into this aviation thing and at that time I was also starting out on photography so I realized that planes are actually really nice uh, things to take photos of if you start looking um, at um, things like you know whether there's a special livery or whether it's a rare type of plane that you know comes into Singapore once every week or something like that or yeah this kind of things are it just started making me appreciate um, aviation a lot more knowing like how uh, difficult it is actually to get mm. a plane flying from the construction to the physics behind the plane flying and all of that pilot right. training. Mm. It's actually a lot of things that make our airports work and okay. our planes work. Right. Yeah. Mm. So for all this like skeptic out there who are still a little bit afraid of flying, would you say that the planes are how many percent safe? Um, planes, if you look at the stats, I don't have the hard numbers, mm. but they are the safest mode of transport per passenger per mile. Right. by far like <laughs> by very very far okay and planes are the only are like one of the transports that have so many redundancies um i mean i don't know if this will make flyers feel any better but if a two engine plane one of the engines fail the other engine is strong enough to make the plane climb not just sustain but uh, climb okay yeah that's the minimum safety standard of aviation there you go right so that's gonna close the the worries and the debates once and for all right so yeah. uh, let's go down your your memory lane a little bit huh? last five places you visited since uh the restriction are so the last one was south africa right before that was europe so i was in uh where was i let me think. I was in Hungary for... I was watching the Ring Cycle, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Budapest. Um, I was also in Prague for that trip. Right. Before that, February 2019, I was in Munich. Nice. Uh, and that was the, my last time experiencing snow. Was, <laughs> oh my god, it's been two years. Right. Uh, and before that was... I think the UK, actually. Okay, was that oh, my for graduation? Graduation, ceremony. right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. What was there a, a US in between? US so, was before the UK trip. Right, was before graduation. Yeah, yeah. and and you have to share the the US trip, right? Ah uh, yes. Your, so your, my your flight was at what price? Two hundred dollars. Okay, right. <laughs> That's it. So whatever you want to know, just PM uh, Tingjun directly, and he'll explain to you how that how the hell did that happen? And we also were at Washington, right? Yeah, well, airline made a mistake and we kind of capitalized on it and they yeah. honored it, so... There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Good stuff. Right. Okay. So let's uh, gently nudge ourselves back towards uh, that more musical things. Yeah. Mm. And so obviously with most people's knowledge of you is that you're a composer. Uh, you also play the trumpet. And of course, now you're a teacher in SOTA. Mm-hmm. Uh but perhaps not everybody know that you are involved in uh, various music organizations in Singapore. And of course, two of them that really jumps out is uh, OMM, which is the Orchestra of Music Makers, and Rebel mm. Subin, which is your alma mater. Yep. So, uh, so I believe both groups are, are quite close to your heart. And can you just share uh, what you do there? I will start with uh, Raffles Wins since I joined them first. Actually, around the same year. It was both 2008. Uh, so Raffles Wins is the alumni band of all three Raffles schools. Mm. Um, my career, actually, I owe it to them because they were the first wind band in Singapore to play my wind band piece. Actually, my first wind band piece. Nice. Yeah, so... And, and what um, was that? Um, it was called A French Portrait. It was inspired by a French painting that I saw. Uh, it's a Monet painting called um, A Starry Night. Okay. Uh, yeah. Starry Night Over the Rhone, something like that, along those lines. Okay. Yeah. So that was my first Wind Man piece. Ever since then, Arwins has played a few of my works. Mm-hmm. So they kind of supported my composition uh, growth in a way. I learned a lot by writing for them, even though it's like alumni band players, so it's not professionals, they're community players, you hear their struggles and you hear what's possible and what's not. And that was one of the greatest learning experiences I've had as a composer, you know, because, you know, a lot of professionals can do a lot of things, but you don't (laughs) really know what's comfortable and what's not until you see amateur players try. Mm. So for me, that was really a, a great path to idiomatic writing. Right. Um, then ultimately, I started conducting the group um, right. around six, seven years ago. I, I conducted like one or two pieces because the main conductor was a singer and he wanted to sing. Okay. Um, in fact, he sang the Wintersturmer from um, Die Valkyrie. Wow. So I had to do an arrangement and that was my first time studying uh, Die Valkyrie. There um, you go. Goes yeah. way back, huh? Yeah. I know, right? Comes from full circle. <laughs> Right. So yeah, so that was my first time arranging something for opera from opera to wind band. Mm-hmm. And I also learned a lot uh, like how you know winds actually very difficult to balance with singers, things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but then that also kind of started my conducting journey. Okay, uh, my conducting journey started as student conductor in Raffles, but then it only really I only had a lot of podium time when I started conducting the uh, Raffles winds. Okay. Yeah, and then lately um I Myself and um, Darren Sung, mm-hmm. also a very good friend of mine and a junior, uh, both of us now share the projects with the band. So we we both conduct um, half a concert each, thereabouts. Mm. Yeah, okay. and um, to me, this is a very special family because uh, we make music for the love of it and there's no real expectations. Or rather, musical excellence is not the top priority. Mm. Um, for us, it's really about coming together and making music together as a community. Right. So it really teaches me about like being human and you know getting to form relationships with people, working with people, and every year you know the players change. You got to get used to that feeling as well. Yeah. And it's a very very nice warm family. Even though every year the membership changes, mm. it's just so nice. 
yeah. yeah. And then with OMM, I joined from the very, very first project. That was also in 2008. Uh, we were playing for the HSBC Youth Excellence Award Gala concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, OMM was my orchestral outlet after graduating from SNYO. Okay. Yeah, you know, after last time after JC means you're out of SNYO. Right, you've it's outgrown like, the group, right? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was like the graduation age back in the day for wins and brass players. Right. Um, so after that, um, for me, OMM was like, like I say, like, orchestral outlet. It really taught me a lot of orchestral music, actually. I was very glad to be in it. Mm. Um, and then I also joined the management team as the brass um, HR person. So, you know, I had to summon brass players for projects, things like this. Yep. And that was actually also uh, quite an interesting experience for me because I've never done anything on a management level before. Okay. So there's yeah. a first taste to the administration, mm. the administrative side of things. Yeah. Right. So that taught me a lot of so mm. yeah. But most what I enjoyed the most was uh learning a lot of music. Mm. Uh, you know, as someone who didn't really know much about Mahler symphonies, suddenly playing like Mahler symphonies every other year with this group. Yeah. That was that was really something making me learn a lot of music. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you don't know Mahler symphonies, then like I'm completely right. illiterate. Yeah. <laughs> no lah, not that, not like that lah. Yeah, but yeah. it's just that you know this group likes to share works like this with mm. the general population, and yeah. Mahler symphonies are not that often played, to be mm. honest, That's in true. Singapore. Yeah. Because the scale of it all is just hard to stage, mm. and besides the SSO. Yeah. Um, no one, very few other groups can actually perform Mahler symphonies. It's just very difficult mm. to stage successfully. For so sure. I'm just glad to be in a group that has found that um thing for yeah. it. Yeah. Are you involved in the upcoming Mahler 4? No, actually. No trumpet part. Oh, really? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's, the, it's a chamber version. So it's a small orchestra with like single winds and one right. horn. That's the only brass instrument. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's it works well. I've heard the chamber version before, yeah. so I know it works. Yeah. It's okay. We can go off air and can tell me all about your real feelings. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But really, I I think it is a it's a very meaningful project. Yeah. Because you know everyone thinks that Mahler is like all oh, big and grand and like a gazillion horns, mm. but actually no. Mahler four is a more intimate symphony. Mm. Um and. It really works very well in a chamber group. It's it's almost like a new work altogether. Okay. But it still works. Right. That's the best part. Mm. Other Mahler symphonies reduce the chamber, I'm not sure. But this one, it sounds perfect. Right, right. Okay. I will almost say I prefer the chamber version over the original. Nice. Almost. Mm. Right. Cool. So uh, if you could just tell us for both of these groups, what were some of the challenges that you have faced with these groups over this last one year? Well, with Raffles Wins, we couldn't really do anything. Mm. So that's the challenge. Yeah, it's a breaking of the momentum, isn't it? And then to get people up and Correct. going again, it's a it's a, it's a different challenge, right? Correct. We already yeah. had an entire concert repertoire plan and a booking with VCH made. Mm. Um, and then this happens. And then we've had a postponed by a year. VCH actually was very generous. Um, they postponed for us the slot with no extra charges. Mm. And then this year, we realized, you know, it's still not going to happen. So the VCH has 
actually offered to postpone another year. So it's very, very gracious of them. Yeah. Um, so um, at the moment, Arwins has been doing very small scale recording stuff, which actually I'm not involved in. Okay. Yeah. But um, the management side will handle all of that. And uh, they have been doing some some performances lah, online, that kind of thing, which uh, I'm not involved in. I see. Yeah. Okay. And for Ohm, well, the biggest challenge was um, we couldn't play as a big group until August last year mm. when um, relaxations came in. Uh, we could do very small-scale live performances. In fact, we were given the chance to do a pilot concert at mm. a conference hall yeah. uh, with Ting Liwei as our soloist mm. playing the Haydn Cello Concerto. Yes, of course. Um, and I also had a couple of arrangements played um, yeah. as well as us giving us a premiere of John Shin's uh, folk games. Mm. So that was the first time I heard an orchestra in like don't know how many months and it was it was just a nice sound you know to hear a group of musicians <laughs> playing together again yeah. in fact during the rehearsal the moment they started tuning i was like wow an orchestra tuning yeah it was such a rare it's been a while right it's been a while i know yeah, yeah. so our challenge till today is mm. that we cannot um we cannot uh perform live with large groups of winds players mm. yeah which because of course now the limit is still 30 musicians mm. 10 unmasked yeah and that uh, makes repertoire very limited for sure so every time we wanted to go beyond that we had to do recordings and even so the recordings were still limited to 20 unmasked yep yeah. kind of thing yeah but yeah so that's that the challenge is really getting the numbers on stage mm. and uh, in the past OMM has always been about generating its uh brand sound branded sound from the number of string players that we have yes yeah so cutting down really uh, made things difficult yeah because it started sure. exposing a lot of things but we managed to pull through yeah um i think i remember uh, prof chan saying it felt like syf for string orchestra all over again <laughs> and that was yeah. It really sounded that way, you know, in, in a sense. But it was also a good opportunity for the orchestra mm. to learn um, a lot about, you know, can't hide anymore. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. And now everyone needs to be at the top of their game. Yep. Hold your own. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with that, we also had to program shorter pieces because musicians would have lost the stamina to play long works like Mahler. Mm. And the ma- the upcoming Mahler 4 is our first time doing a long work in the right. past, since the Valkyrie, since the Valkyrie actually. Okay. Yeah. Because previously yeah. everything has been like short movements and things like that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Nice. So uh, basically what you're saying is that we're not going to hear uh, Janacek Sinfonietta anytime soon, right? No, unfortunately <laughs> not. <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately not. The offstage trumpets will already bust the limit. <laughs> Let's not yeah. even talk about the onstage. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I really I think what is uh, really quite fantastic is how the, the group has uh, continued to try to stay engaged with their audiences through mm-hmm. more digital means, right? I, of course, yes. there was a period of time whereby we really had no idea when live performances were going to come back. But then there were a lot of this sort of, I think, video series or documentaries about 
the group that was mm-hmm. being produced and stuff like that, which I thought was a, was a nice touch. And it's probably a project that you guys have spoke about for the longest time, but finally having that sort of time to put everything in place and yes. to show it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, uh, I mean, all, all we can hope for is from here onwards that things will continue to get better. And with each new announcement, we have uh, a little bit more uh, Let's options. Let's hope so. Yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> Everyone, yeah. please get vaccinated. <laughs> and, please. And, 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 yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I just had my second dose today, this morning. Ooh. Yeah, so if you see my, my face start to bloat up, please let me know. You're but, not yeah. going to have a good night, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, just a heads up. Just You're going to wake up every hour. Ah, uh, okay. With so, chills and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah. Something for me to look forward to, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, so now let's talk about when we first meet. Uh, let me just start this off. Actually... Of course, I've known about you for the longest time uh, before I left for my studies. But I think the first time we were like in close proximity was probably me coming out from Steve's lesson and you were just waiting to get in to speak to him when you were on, maybe on your auditions or something like that. It's in one of those ground floor rooms and I opened the door. It's like, where am I? Am I in the UK Mm -hmm. or am I like back in Singapore or something (laughs) like that? Right, for a moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, yeah, and, and I think prior to that, we never really spoke. We never really hang out. It's just like two completely different circles, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. I mean, I heard about you too, and I heard about uh, that, you all. That that's what all my guests say, right? Otherwise, it's just no, awkward. no, no. It's true. <laughs> Otherwise, people would just be like, "Yeah, you know," but yeah, I have no idea who you are. It's true, <laughs> but the most, the most, my most memorable uh story of you before I met you. Was your euphonium getting damaged? Oh yes, 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 yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of was big news amongst the brass community. <laughs> so. Hey. Well, I mean, for for a couple of months, I had uh, a euphonium baritone hybrid that can be played, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And then of course, we we got to know each other a little bit better, and of course, the yeah. Singapore community uh, hung out together across your two years in Manchester. Yeah. 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 So yeah, things kind of grew from there. Yeah, and now uh, bring us back. I think your your career and your relationship with music goes quite some time back. And this is by no means saying that you're old. So uh, yeah, just share with us how you got acquainted with music and how things developed to where it is today. Well, my first, I would say, attempt at learning music um, was when my dad uh, sent me to Yamaha Music School um, to learn piano. Uh, people who know me all know how that turned out. <laughs> I gave up after two weeks and I hated piano and I don't know Up till now, why. right? <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> hate piano now, but I still cannot play, okay? I will just admit it publicly. I cannot play the piano, which is surprising as a composer for many people. But yes, I cannot play the piano until today. Mm. Um, and then I think it was around primary three that I started getting interested in the primary school band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't join primary school, I just was interested. And also, I played. I enjoyed playing the recorder more than I thought I would. I started learning tunes on my own for fun. Nice. Um, yeah, how many kids do that, right? Yeah, <laughs> people, people play Game Boy, play PlayStation, and then you're just yeah. like, yeah, figuring out like new tunes Correct. on the recorder. Yeah, right. with... 
without you know learning how to read the tauge like at that point it was really just you know the fingering yeah and the notes and just right. trying things out for fun mm. Mm. so um well my uh dad asked if i wanted to join the school band lah. so yeah. i did uh, i was from Aitong. so uh, i joined the primary school band mm. uh, i really wanted to play the trombone also another not very well known fact because it looked very cool <laughs> right. i was like wow that push-pull thing very cool i want to play yeah. that yeah. And then uh, back then, my primary school band conductor, who is uh, Mr. Ye Kuoming, mm. whom I'm super in-depth to, indebted to for his musical training, um, he told us all to bass, right? Mm. And then uh, I happened to bass fairly high-pitched. Okay. So he put me in a cornered section. Right. And what was interesting was uh, I struggled to get above the middle G. And then... Um, but your buzzing is like a super G, right? No, 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 no. My buzzing was not super. <laughs> I was just higher than right. most of the others. Okay. Um, and then he transferred me to baritone, believe it or not. Wow. I was a baritone player for like a month. Uh, okay. But I could not hit any of the low notes. So I went back to corner. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, you, you're, you're quite lucky. You might have yes. found yourself a place in the horn section. Uh, yes, but yes. You, you that dodged too. that bullet, right? Yeah, somehow I missed the tenor horn. Like, it could have been there, but yeah. somehow Mr. Ye just decided, nope, you know what, just go back to corner. Right. And then uh, from then on, it uh, just progressed from there. Uh, I started mm. uh, learning a lot of things by year, actually. I'm still a very oral learner today. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I read notes slower than I learn notes by, tune, by year. Okay. Uh, learn tunes by year. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and how do you decipher this? Is it like a sort of like, of course, we have the, the very well-known uh, primary school solvage system that a lot of uh, me uh, included came through the primary school system where we learned this particular solvage system, right? Uh, we will not get into details of that. Is it because of that that you gain this sort of like, re- like yes. reference pitch? Yes, actually that. And I started, um, I wouldn't call it perfect pitch, but I would started literally associating the so fitch to the pitch mm. so i started getting this fixed dough thing um and it's in b flat so that kind that came back to bite me in the university years but it <laughs> served me very well for okay. many many years right started learning a lot of things and you know i hear a pitch and in my head i sing that so fitch mm. before i know what the note is okay yeah so mm. That's that. Mm. Um, then secondary school, join band, change the trumpet. Because, you know, corner players usually either go to French horn or trumpet. I yeah. went to trumpet. Um, and then uh, in sec 3, that was the first big turning point of my life. Mm. Uh, in two directions. Right. Firstly, I got into SNYO, mm-hmm. which was uh, really, really nice, firstly, because yeah. it got me into the world of orchestral music playing. Mm. But at the same time, I wore braces. Career suicide, right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, for, for those of you who are listening who are not brass players, uh, putting yeah. on braces, it's like relearning the entire instrument. Yeah. But Correct. let's not give too much away because I have a lot of questions regarding that for you uh, yes, later yes, towards yes. the conversation. Yeah. Yes. So, and yeah. then, so another not so well-known fact about me is I played percussion from Sectory to Four right. in band. Okay. Uh, mainly playing the timpani. Right. Because, uh, well, my strength was in my hearing, so I could tune the timpani without following the gauge. And the mm. gauge changed every day anyway, so I stopped relying on it and started tuning by ear. Yeah. Um, that was that. Was that. So and, I did... And were you, still playing, were you still playing trumpet in the orchestra at that time? 
So oh. at that time, it was, I didn't play in the orchestra. Right. Uh, back then was the training orchestra, correct? Yeah. So uh, I was, I, I requested to be taken out of performances for about half a year while I, I recover. Okay. And then uh, my trumpet teacher um, was Mr. Tay Jun Yap. Right. He helped me recover from wearing braces. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Right. And that's also we will not get too much about it, but sure, um, sure. I found my secret recipe, mm. which we'll discuss <laughs> later. Okay. Yeah. So that's that. Um, yeah. Also, uh, what's what not many people know is I actually auditioned for MEP to take music at O levels, mm-hmm. and I failed. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, because I had no absolutely no theory background, and I had to learn theory from scratch in about two months to about a grade five level, mm. and. At the audition, I still hardly could answer the questions. Okay. So that was that. Um, right. My first formal music education was at uh, JC. When I went to Raffles, uh, I went to Raffles JC. Just in case I'm not a smart kid, uh, I, I DSA one. So I played cheat one. So illegitimate. <laughs> well, you, you still had to hit a particular score, right? Yeah. 20. It was not very high. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, 20 points go RJ. Right. You know? That's what they say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my first time having formal music education. Mm. Uh, I struggled a lot in the first year. Um, but I had very, very patient teachers. Uh, Mrs. Chi, Dr. Pamela, and uh, Dr. Gui. They really helped me uh, get through my two years in JC music. Mm. And I learned so much during that time about music that I never really knew about because when you start studying music formally, you start to delve a lot into history and the context and, you know, like what was the background behind uh, the music when it was written Mm. and how, you know, the current happenings of that time were influencing music. I thought that was quite an eye-opener to me because in band, we don't really learn these things. Nah, yes. Yeah. So that was that really helped me develop a new understanding for mm. music. And it was also around that time when I started composing a lot. Okay. Um, so you started composition during yeah. that time? It was okay. a requirement, ma. Uh, but I realized I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. And also, um, because of my braces, uh, my playing was not super good. Uh, you know, I had one wrong for a classmate. So, <laughs> you know that comparison is there that self-comparison with him and of like course. I'm never gonna be you know as yeah. good as him but, so but, yeah, I, but to be honest he's like generation talent I mean he works really yes. hard but he is yes. really really yes. good from a very young age right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. so I did a composition major instead for A-levels so the weightage of the performance and the required the, the demands of the performance side drops mm. So it was more manageable and I focused a lot more on the composition and I really learned a lot about composition. I think my greatest takeaway from JC was uh, my teacher telling me that composing is not about writing notes, but about playing with your audience's feelings. Mm. And till today, that mantra lives within me when I write music. Mm. It is my guiding principle towards writing music. And I think it has helped me a lot. Right. Yeah. Mm. So I started writing for Ben in JC. I, I don't know what made me crazy enough to try, but I did. <laughs> and then of course Raffles Wins was very generous to try out a student composition. You know, JC kid, not even alumni yet, but right. you know, just try lah. Yeah. The the conductor was very nice, Chen Hui. Mm. Um and um, 
it was he he really helped make the dream come true. Okay. Yeah. Then uh, of course went into SEM bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also composed for the band, band A. I was in band A uh, together with another very famous composer, Terence Wong Fei Yang. Right. Which which is very famous recently because if you haven't heard, <laughs> he composed a a gazillion pieces yeah. for SYF this year. Exactly. Which is like I, amazing. Yeah. I think there's there's fourteen or something like that. And more than that. Yeah. I'm I have, quite sure there's more than that. I have had a chance to to teach some of them. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is they're all good music. So mm. you know, it's yeah. so nice that uh local compositions are starting to take off mm. in Singapore. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So after SEF then uh I auditioned for YSD composition. Okay. And I didn't actually make it. <laughs> right. Yeah, didn't pass the audition. Mm. At the same time that year I was up against a lot of strong candidates. Okay. Such so such as were, were there some uh, so there's Punyu. Okay, uh, there you go. <laughs> uh yeah. Timothy Tan, who is like really into this sound art kind yes, of yes. installations things. Yep. Um, I was again. Uh, I was up with uh Kok Jun, Pang Kok Jun. Ah, right. Is, you know. Yeah. 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 So, people like that. Okay. So um, well, I didn't make the cut. Mm. Uh, but that that's fine. Um, then a year later, someone told me very correctly, by the way, that I was more of a trumpeter than a composer back then, mm. which is true because I was actively playing in many many groups, but my composition output back then was really very little. Mm. So I decided to audition as a trumpet major. I very nearly didn't get in, but thank the heavens I did. Right. Uh, I had to go for trial lessons to, to test my potential and things like that. Okay. Uh, thankfully, YSD saw some potential in me. Mm-hmm. So they took me in and I started being a trumpet student. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I think what was nice about being in conservatory was I basically learned the trumpet from scratch. I right. had to unlearn a lot of things and that experience really humbled me mm. and it taught me a lot of about like perseverance and you know like managing expectations yep. and being realistic. Yeah. So that really helped me as a musician grow. Mm. Um, but of course all along I didn't really want to be a professional trumpet player in an orchestra. Okay. So um, I always wanted to be either a composer or a conductor. Right. Yeah. So uh, I still actively composed while mm. I was in YST. And my biggest break is probably writing variations on Chan Mali Chan. Yep. Um, that was when I was in my second year. Uh, and that was played by Joe Burke Stoller and the uh, Singapore Wind Symphony. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That was... That, that piece has survived till today and I think it's amazing. It has it was actually played every year, you know, until the pandemic hit. Nice. And it was it was supposed to be played in twenty nineteen uh twenty twenty as well. Okay. But uh yeah, things happen so. Right, right. And is that a trump- trumpet performance? Or uh, no, it was going to be oh, I can't remember if it was gonna be Euphonium version or Trumpet version. Right. But it was gonna be with the OMM orchestra camp. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. Right. Yeah, I even I even had to do a new edition. Okay. Because the previous orchestration I didn't it's not that I didn't like it, but I thought it could have been better. Mm. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah. Um Yeah, and I think the being a performance major in YST also taught me a lot about composition. Mm. You know, because you're working with students and you will see their struggles and you see what's practical and what's not. 
and you also learn a lot from the composition majors. Right. I think that was one of my biggest takeaways. You hear what you don't think of. I think that was the most amazing part, learning from the composition students. That was so mind-blowing. Like, right. Ideas they think of that you only know when you're a composition student. I'm like, wow, you could do that? So that was, that was very eye-opening for me. Um, and then I wanted to be a conducting master student. Uh, I tried to take part in the RNCM conducting weekend. Mm-hmm. I didn't pass. Okay. I didn't pass the auditions, but I went anyway to watch. Right. And then I realized how far behind I was in okay. my conducting experience and skills. Mm. So I decided, you know what? Let's try composition again. Okay. And uh, thank the heavens that uh, I got to RNCM as a composition master's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, studied under Adam Gop, which I admired since Jay-Z because of his SOF set piece, yep. Sunrise and Safari. Yeah. What a great set piece. Yeah. It was so it was so refreshing, but I felt like back then um, Singapore bands were not so open to that kind of music, so it got a yep. lot of undeserved like, hatred. Yeah, for mm. sure. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I, I not, I'm even going to say that when I was playing it, I was in SEC 4 then, Coming from Singapore Rhapsody two years ago, it was <laughs> yeah. like, it cannot be any more different. I'm like, what is this? You know? Yeah. All I have is da, 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 da. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. 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 But once you, I mean, it takes time to grow into works like this. Yep. And uh, especially after we grow up as musicians, then we see the genius in the piece. Mm. Yeah. So it was, I felt like as students, it, Students would have underappreciated it. Yeah. But personally, as a student, I love playing it. Right. Both pieces. Because I had an opportunity to play both because uh, my conductor, Mr. Ora, decided to change the set piece two weeks before SYF. Of course. I, I, yeah, I don't know what got into him. But <laughs> two yeah. weeks before SYF. Uh, I think the set piece too similar to our choice piece. Let's change. Then I'm like, it's two weeks to SYF. Or was it three weeks? It was very close to SYF really. Then I'm okay. like, wow. But we did okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I enjoyed playing it right. so much. Mm. So after Masters, uh, I came out and then um, applied to SOTA mm. to be a music teacher. Yep. Um, actually, I didn't think that I was going to be a full-time teacher. I was just I was just applying for any available position as adjunct or, you know, if they need a theory teacher, part-time, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and then um, they called me up to ask if I was interested in a full-time position and for an interview. So I went for that and here I am today, a full-time teacher at SOTA. Right. Not something I foresaw until after I graduated from RNCM actually. I mean, I guess until the the option became really real to you, you've never imagined yourself in that sort of position, right? Correct. Fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I never really wanted to be a classroom teacher because uh, I've heard a lot about a lot of horror stories from like MOE teachers about uh, all the things they have to do. And MOE music teachers, you know, like, oh, you don't get to choose the school you go to. You might teach general music. That was the mm. biggest nightmare. I'm like, teach general right. music. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. That, that The period whereby all the students just want to come into your class for the aircon and that's about it. Yes. All right. <laughs> you know, like the last thing I wanted to do was to teach a bunch of disinterested kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's hard work. It's hard work to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very fortunate to be in SOTA because, you know, everyone who is studying there, applied to go there, wanted to take music as a subject. Mm. 
And, you know, since uh, com- coming back to Singapore, of course, uh, <laughs> when you were already in the UK, I saw some of the work that you're doing in preparation for uh, the SYF for 2019. And yep. yeah, we, we're going to go there now, right? Because we've just come off the, the secondary school SYF recently. Yep. So uh, let's talk about 2019, which was absolutely, I think, a, a huge year for you as well. And yes. because of uh, two particular pieces, uh, Festival on Earth and Party yes. in Space. So uh, talk us through a little bit about these pieces. I, I know recently they've just been published, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And, uh, just festival enough actually right okay yeah. and so talk us through this uh, the creative process and how these two works came to be what they are so uh, MOA's uh, brief so we were given um, we composers are actually given a brief about what the theme of the SYF was and that year was basically about celebrating the past and looking forward to the future because it was the SG200 year okay yeah. bicentennial huh? Yeah, career yeah. bicentennial. Mm. So for me, I was thinking, okay, we need to celebrate the past and hope for the future. So I need to write two pieces, you know, that kind of encompass those. Mm. Uh, my initial idea was that both pieces will share the same basic musical material. And so I came up with that uh, four note motif that everyone hates, hated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, when I... When I started writing them, I decided, okay, the secondary school one will be about celebrating Singapore now and its diverse and rich past. Mm-hmm. And then the JCPs will be the more futuristic, you know, you know, hopes for the future and hopes for our youth, yep. um, that kind of energetic piece. Mm. So um, I actually started writing uh, Party in Space first. Okay. Because back then, I already had plans to write something inspired by EDM rhythms. I see. Okay. Yeah. And EDM like uh, traits. Right. So uh, I decided, okay, you know what? The JC set piece will be that piece since I was going to write something like that anyway. And it'll, it'll be nice. I mean, then the kids will actually for once get to play something more, I would say more closely related to them. Mm. You know, EDM music is so common these days. Yeah. So that was that. Um, then Festival on Earth, I made it a bit more contrasting, a bit more tame in a way. Mm. And uh, so for me, I wanted to show Singapore not just as a place, but also an ongoing event. Okay. Because, you know, Singapore's history is so short. Mm. I mean, 200 years is actually really short. Yep. Um, I mean, we're talking about the 200 years. Yeah. Um, of course, our history goes way back, but our modern history is what Singaporeans are most familiar with. Yep. And in this short history, we have achieve so much based on diversity as well. And it seems to be like a trait of the country. We are very accepting of people. Uh, and, and we are like a gathering of different people. So it, for me, it's like a festival. Mm. It's actually like SYF, you know, like a gathering of bands. Yeah. So Singapore is a gathering of people around the world in one place. Yes, absolutely. That's why I called it a festival mm. on earth. Okay. Because that's what Singapore is to me. Right. You know, so I had like all the different things in the piece. You know, I had like uh, tribal stomping, which the kids, some kids love, some kids hated. <laughs> uh, we had that romantic play thing. We had this uh, cute little carousel waltz thing. And they're all based around the same four note motif. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, the JC set piece was going to be more futuristic. Um, I called it Party in Space. 
because firstly it's EDM music, so it's party music. And um, you know, if the festival is on Earth, the party needs to be somewhere else that's not Earth. <laughs> so that the so that the titles work with one another, you see. Right, right. So, so it's either me, you go up or you go down, right? So obviously yeah, going up is I, a better option. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? Some party in space. Yeah. Um and you know when I think of space, you don't think about up or down anymore because everything is all around Floating, you. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So that's why I also um, took this opportunity to do uh, a lot of inversions and retrograde of the four note motif. A lot more physical transformation of the motif, more so than Festival on Earth. Mm. Yeah, and uh, the piece is not so episodic like Festival on Earth. It's more coherent, right? Uh, more like, you know, smooth. That was the right thinking process behind writing these pieces. What was it like for you when you first heard this uh, uh, performed by the students. Obviously, you probably heard the the demonstration yes. before that, and or you heard some sort of recording of yes. the piece. I'm sure. But what what was it like for you? Were you at the first performance of was the I piece? there on the first day? I cannot remember, but I went down as much as I could. I did remember. Yeah, seeing yeah. It a basically, times, every time so. I was free, I went down. Yeah. So the first yeah. day, uh, so all the band kids know this that uh, this piece, actually, there are multiple permutations of performing. They can choose. There's, there are some places where they can choose the different instrumentation. They can choose the different endings. Mm. There's this part where there's three sections and you can reorder them. So it's kind of like a very modular piece yep. of music. You can kind of shift things around a little bit to make, you know, each school yep. has its own identity when they present the piece. And when I watched the first yep. day, there were, I can't remember how many bands there were, but I remember counting there were at least four permutations already within one afternoon. Mm. So for me, okay. that was the diversity I was trying to achieve and I was really glad it happened. Okay. That, that was mm. really yeah. a, a wonderful end result for me. Well, I have a lot of friends who were band conductors. They shared with me that this piece, this set piece was one of the more difficult ones to tackle in previous years. Uh, partially because of the orchestration, there were quite a lot more exposed passages. Um, the constant rhythm, the bum, 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 is a trap for rushing. I didn't actually intentionally set, I did not intentionally set that trap. Yeah, just disclaimer. It just happened right. to come to yeah. me. Um, mm. And like how, you know, it's very episodic. So there's a lot of different styles that the students need to be able to play well. So there was a lot of challenges. But, Mm. across all the performances I heard, I felt that bands actually performed quite well. Like, I didn't hear the mm. struggles that, of course, I'm quite sure I don't hear the struggles at the end, right? The struggles are at the start. <laughs> but all the <laughs> yeah. struggles that uh, people talk about, ultimately, mm. they overcame them. And right. I am very happy for all of them that they overcame these uh, mm. difficulties. Nah. Right, yeah. And uh, funny you should say this thing about like traps of, of the piece, right? Uh, I remember when I was a student, uh, my uh, band director would be like, oh, you know, this is a uh, set piece. So uh, these things are purposely written to like try to trip uh, the bands up. Okay, so um, what I was told also that I had a checklist to yeah. take. 
okay. so it's not that yeah. we purposely set traps but we do we have to write a, a various number of things that need to be in the piece to test because ultimately it's still a test piece it's to test the band right um so there were some okay. check boxes that i needed to tick like whether they could play okay. in unison uh, whether you could mm. play uh, different articulations whether you could play right. different styles okay. of music. Um, that's why in the past, even if the set piece is a march, there's always the trio will always sound more lyrical, but the first part will always be a bit yeah. uh, more articulate. Yeah, so there are yeah. actually some hmm. there's a checklist lah for me to check and like to make sure that the bands are able I to see. do these things. But they're all quite fairly basic demands. So none of them are unreasonable. Hmm. It's just the way I wrote it. Right. happened to be a little tricky at some spots. I also, for me, I wanted to uh, make band training applicable to the students, relatable to the students. You know, we mm. always play scales and we play arpeggios during like all the technique training. Uh, you're playing all the I recommend. Yep. But sometimes, you know, okay, my, uh, my experience was that the band directors don't always uh, show the relevance of all these techniques in the pieces, like how they're related so mm. for me, I try to include more explicit versions of all these technique stuff. So in a way, the Festival on Earth was a bit like an etude book, but condensed in one. That's right. why we have chromatic okay. scales. Um, that's why we have lip slurs. Uh, that's yep. why we have uh, things like uh, switching between quavers and triplets, things like this. Yeah, mm. all these yep. uh, very basic scales and whatnot and arpeggios, yeah. things like that. A lot of the fundamentals that we do in band training, I put them all in the piece. And so that the hope mm, is there you go. Even if we play a lot of music, I'll play a lot of the studies, when we go to the piece, it's transferable. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. The the moment you started saying lip slap, that <laughs> that low brass thing just just it just came back to my mind <laughs> immediately. Right. Yeah. So and you know, in, in a normal uh, environment or in, or in a normal situation, uh, I would say that things wouldn't have changed so much. But uh, 2021, SYF uh, AP 2021 sees a completely uh, different SYF yes. altogether. So now from uh, your perspective, what are your thoughts about this new format of having lower numbers of players in a band? Because from the sounds of it, I don't know, I might be speculating, there might be a chance that this format will stay, but I'm not 100%. So uh, we will never know. In fact, it is unlikely yeah. to be the default because um, there are so many mm. challenges. You know, you have to split the time between mm. groups, you know, as a conductor. And the school's not going to hire two yep. conductors or two small groups. That's, that's like a definite <laughs> thing. However, yeah. I thought this was... Uh, this proved my belief all along. Okay, so I never mm. really liked watching very big bands play because the right. colors just get dulled out. All the sections when you have a thirteen mm. or fourteen man, uh, trumpet section, the trumpet sound doesn't sound like a trumpet section anymore. It just sounds like mushy. You know, the the sound colors start right. to cancel each other out. Yeah. You hear less individual colors yeah. of the instruments, and this time. Mm every single band, you could hear it. No matter what they played, yep. and no matter how well they played it, 
you could hear every mm. individual, which of course is a double-edged sword, right? That means everyone needs to be very strong. Yep. But also at the same time, if everyone exactly. needs to be very strong, that means the bar for each player is now set higher. Uh, and mm. for me, I really enjoyed it. Like I tuned in whenever I could and every performance I watched, I enjoy it. Even if there were shortcomings mm. in the playing, but you know, you could see the kids, you know, put their heart into the performance. And I think that was that's yeah. what matters the most in every SYF, not the result. I, I don't believe in results. Mm. Um, yep. Uh, but it was so nice to, you know, hear individual players for once. Right. Yeah, I know yep. we were all brought up, you know, in this blend culture. <laughs> so <laughs> for me, I believe yeah. in blending yeah. when the music calls for it. But I don't believe in mm. blending full time. I mean, what's the point? You might as well play an organ, right? Yeah. So it was just nice <laughs> yeah, to, you know, true. finally hear all these colours coming out and like all the bands, like they just sound mm. a lot more colourful. It was just yep. it was just pleasant to watch. Mm. And now, uh, from your con- uh, composer's perspective, right? When when it comes to oh. selecting music for ensembles like that, obviously a lot of the the band training music is written in perhaps four parts or mm. five parts, but sometimes they are not, right? And in a case where by they are not, what are your feelings towards like band directors just omitting? certain instrumentations. So for me, uh, what I know is actually many pieces, many band pieces have small band versions these days, even before the pandemic. Mm. Uh, I remember, I remember my secondary school band, well not during my time, but my juniors, they played this reduced instrumentation version of uh, Satoshi Yagisawa's uh, and then the Ocean Glows. So, Mm. uh, because I know the original and I felt like it didn't really take away anything. It still sounded pretty much okay. the same. So all these right. small versions, as long as they are well written, they work. However, if you were to mm. try to take a piece that was already written for a big band and you just try to omit parts, um, there's that danger of misbalancing something that the composer has yep. meticulously done or, you know, uh, mm. miscolor something even. Like, maybe there's a certain instrument combination yep. that really is the trait of that work. But then, you know, that is yep. lost because of remote, reduced instrumentation. Um, mm. I think band composers right. nowadays are also very conscious about having optional parts. Uh, so, I guess it really depends on the music the band directors choose. Mm. But um, I know that as long as the reduced instrumentation works, or rather the music is produced for a reduced instrumentation, it should work. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.
Oh, my God.